Good morning, Meadows. For you guys who do not know me, I'm Drew Barnes. I'm one of the elders here. It is such a joy to bring the word of God this morning. We have been in a series of union in Christ. And my prayer is that we will rejoice in these truths today. Oh, I've been praying and I've been rejoicing all this week as I've been in this text that we are justified in Christ. Oh, what glorious truth this is. Let me just pray one more time for us in our time. Father, we come with expectation that you will work in and through us. Father, I ask that your spirit will soften our hearts to receive what you want to share with us. That you'll open our ears so that we can hear your word. Open our minds so that we can understand your word. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray that your word will go forth. And may we be obedient to what you have called us. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've been around Meadows, you know that we've been talking about unity. We've been talking about unity as a body, and we desire to be unified as one body. And in order for us to be unified as one body, we must understand our union in Christ. And last week, we looked at how we were crucified with Christ, we died with Christ, and we are alive in Christ. And we talked about how our old self, this self that is sinful, depraved, that does not want God, that does not seek God, is crucified and died. And the old self that used to live in the land of sin, dwell there, take up residency there, is no longer because we have been crucified with Christ. And we looked at crucifixion always leads to death. And so our old self that used to live in the land of sin, guess what? There's a newspaper there with the obituary of our old self there. There's a grave in this land of sin with our old self that's six feet under. But we just didn't die. Even though we died, we were no longer a slave to sin. But if we just remain dead, then there's no point to that. But we've looked in Romans chapter 6 last week that we are alive in Jesus Christ. That we are no longer slave to sin, but alive to Christ. And just as in Romans 6, 11, Paul urges the, his hearers, and he urges us to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And so last week was laying the foundation to this week and the following week. As this week we'll look at, we are justified in Christ. Now as we talked about union with Christ, I said it would be helpful if we define union with Christ. But I also said I'm not going to do that. And I encouraged and urged that may we just open the scriptures and may we just read what God has to say about our union in Christ, for this word is used 89 times in Christ, and another 52 times of in him. 
He has a lot to say about our union with Christ. And I compare it to a diamond. As we hold up a diamond and we look at all of its different facets, the more we look at it, the more beauty we see. And I pray and I hope as we continue exploring our union in Christ that we will continue to be in awe of the beauty of that work that God has done to bring us into a union with the Son so that we can glorify Him and delight in Him forever. So today we will be in Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. And as you're turning there, the big idea for today is that we are justified in Christ, therefore we can delight in Him forever. Let me say that one more time. We are justified in Christ, and therefore we can delight in Him forever. As you are turning there as well, I want to encourage us to have the Word of God open. Whether that is a physical copy, I enjoy actually tangibly holding the Bible, opening the pages, hearing the ruffling of the pages. For some it may be digital, that's okay. But I hope and I encourage that we open the Word of God because as we gather here, This isn't a monologue from me to you, but this is a dialogue between God and you, and he uses his word to speak through us. And so I pray that we open our hearts to receive the word that God has for you today. In order to do so, may we be in the word. So with that, let us read Galatians chapter 2, starting in verse 15. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no human being will be justified. But if we ourselves are also found to be sinners while seeking to be justified by Christ. Is Christ then a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. There is a lot of truth that we can rejoice and delight in this morning. May we leave this room, the sanctuary, rejoicing in the things that God has done. Let's set up some context here because we're jumping right in the middle of the letter. Paul is writing because there is division going on in this church, the church of Galatia. See, Jewish believers are telling Gentiles that in order to be saved, in order to be justified, you must believe in Jesus Christ and be circumcised. The gospel is at stake here. Unity is at stake here. And we see that right before our passage that we just read, 
Paul describes the situation very clearly. Let's jump back to verse 11 to give a little more context to what's happening. But when Cephas, also known as Peter, the apostle, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. He stood condemned. For he regularly ate with the Gentiles before certain men came from James. However, when they came, he withdrew and separated himself because he feared those from the circumcision party. Then the rest of the Jews joined his hypocrisy, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were uh, deviating from the truth of the gospel, I told Cephas in front of everyone, If you who are a Jew live like a Gentile, and not like a Jew, how can you compel Gentiles to live like a Jew? See that there is division happening there. The gospel is at stake. And this isn't a first century issue. This has been an issue all throughout church history. It's on this issue that we have the Reformation, where the Protestant church, or the Catholic church, was declaring that it's by faith and works. But thank goodness for God calling Martin Luther to faithfully study the Bible, where Martin Luther read this scripture of Romans chapter 1, verse 17, for it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And it is faith alone that we are saved. It is faith alone that we are justified. It is faith alone that we are sanctified. Not by our works. Faith alone. And this is what Paul is driving at in our passage in Galatians. We're not justified by works, but we're justified by faith. So now let's dive into the riches of this text that Paul lays out. Jump back with me in verse 15 in chapter 2 of Galatians. We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. We got two groups here. Jews, as we know, going all the way back to Genesis 12, were God's chosen people. They were set apart. They were holy. He was going to be their God, and uh, they were going to be his people. He was going to be their king. He was going to protect them, provide for them. They were holy people. Then we got this other group, Gentile sinners. That's everyone else. These are unholy, profaned people not chosen by God. And so we have these two groups, and what Paul is saying is that both of these groups are not saved by works. Both of these groups are saved only through faith and faith alone. He makes this clear in verse 16. Look at how many times he says you're not saved by works. He says it three times. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law once, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves, we believed in Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ. Again, second time, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. If you read scripture and you see something repeated several times, Make a note of it. It's important. 
Paul is emphasizing again and again, we are not saved by works. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteous acts are polluted garments. If we, be, if we try to be saved by our works, our good works, they're still polluted garments. And I will tell you that our English versions are putting this lightly. I will let you go do your own study, but I'll just put that out there. Because you see, even if we try to be saved by our good works, if we try to be justified by our good works, ultimately, if we're not in Christ, we're just committing cosmic plagiarism. What do I mean by that? That's what I mean. If we're not in Christ... We try to do good works. We try to give money to charities. We give up our time to serve others. Who gives that glory? Who gets those honor and reward? Not God. The person who performs that. So ultimately, even in our good works, we're still committing cosmic plagiarism and stealing the glory of God for ourselves. And this is what Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 6 when he talks about fasting and praying and giving. Don't do this in public for others to see, but do this in private, in secret, as your heavenly Father is in secret. And so I come before you not as a preacher, but as a brother in Christ. And in love and in truth, if you see me boasting in anything other than Christ, please, let me know in love. For Paul, at the end of Galatians, at the end of this letter, he writes this, But as for me, I will never boast about anything except the cross of Christ, our Lord Jesus Christ. The, wor- the world has been crucified to me through the cross and I to the world. So if we boast, if we boast in anything, may it be in the cross, the cross of Christ. We are not saved by works. This idea, say by works, comes through even today. Let me give you an example. Let's say Monday comes, we leave this place rejoicing and celebrating what God has done, and so Monday comes, you wake up before your alarm, you're wide awake, you're alert. And you have time, you get in the Word, you have these morning devotions, and they're so rich. God is just revealing Himself to you. And so you get ready, you make breakfast for the whole family, and you're playing worship music, and it's a wonderful time. And then you're on your way to work, and on your way to work, you see someone on the side of the road with a flat tire, and the, you feel the angels and Spirit leading you, so you pull over, you help this person change the tire, and while you're changing the tire, you are able to share the gospel, and he comes to know the Lord and all of his family. And then you go to work, and you know you have a meeting, and you're running late for that meeting, but you get in, and your boss says, hey, don't worry about it. Our meeting was postponed till later that day. And so you enter this meeting, and it couldn't go any better, and you sense that everything is going right. You come home, supper is on the table, kids are obedient. It's good. 
But then Tuesday comes. You may hit the snooze snooze alarm a little too much. You oversleep. You don't get those devotions in. You're a little anxious. You're worried. You're running late. And so you see the guy on the road again. You don't even talk to him. You ignore him. You're running late. You show up late to a meeting. Your boss is yelling at you. That meeting doesn't go as planned. You come home. Dinner's not on the table. You get in an argument with your spouse. Kids are running wild. On Monday, it was easy to worship God. On Tuesday, we feel like a failure. And our whole world is caving in. But you see, if we base our justification, who we are, on the outcomes of our day and the success of our day, we will always feel like failures. But if we know that we are justified in Christ alone, by faith alone, it doesn't matter what our day is. It doesn't matter how successful we are because we are justified by faith alone and not by works. And so we can rejoice and delight in the Lord even when all goes wrong. I will admit that I have failed over and over again. Going to school in the city, my brother lived in the city. He owned several properties in the city. And I still can't figure out why he continued to ask me to come help with his properties. I failed over and over and over again. I painted the fence pink when it should have been white. I spilt a gallon of paint on myself. And yet, he still asked me to help. Again, I don't know why. But it's in those weaknesses and those failures that I don't boast because I know that I'm justified by faith alone through Christ and the work that he has done. Because I'm a weak man. God, show me that this week. I pride myself in being able to work out, being able to run miles. And I threw my back out this week. It's in that weakness that I've seen his strength. That I know I can't boast in anything but the cross of Christ. And may we be a congregation that only boasts in the cross of Jesus Christ by faith and faith alone. Paul makes it clear that we are not justified by faith or justified by works. We're justified by faith. Let's read verse 16 one more time. And yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even ourselves, we have believed in Christ. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ, and not by the works of the law. No human being will be justified. I hope that you're getting this. 
that we are justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. I understand we've been talking a lot about justification already. And I understand we haven't defined that yet. So let us do that now. What does Paul mean when he talks about justification? Well, it's a declaration of someone to be just, someone to be righteous. And this word dikaios in the Greek is always used to describe what a thing is, not what a thing is in itself, but what it always is in relation to something else. Let me put this in example. God has given us 613 commands that he gave to Moses. Don't worry, we're not going to go through all 613 commands. Well, maybe some of us would enjoy the study through Leviticus. Um, that won't be today. But let's just take 10 commands. Familiar, Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. Number one, do not have other gods besides me. Number two, do not make an idol for yourself. Number three, do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, do not murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Number ten, do not covet your neighbor's house. And if we look at what Jesus says about these Ten Commandments in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about murder, he says, even if you have hatred in your heart toward a brother, you have committed murder in your heart. What he talks about, number seven, do not commit adultery. Even if you lust over someone, you have committed adultery in your heart. And so by default then, I have put, I made other things gods in my life besides the one true God. I made idols for myself. I misused the name of the Lord. My God, I haven't always remembered the Sabbath day to keep it holy. I have not always honored my father and mother. Sorry, mom and dad. Based on what Jesus has said, I have murdered Based on what Jesus said, I have committed adultery, I have stolen, I have given false testimony, I have coveted things that my neighbor has. So, therefore, by default, I stand here as an adulterer, a blasphemer, a liar, a thief, a murderer, a cheater. But what Jesus does, he says, no, by faith in me, knowing that what I did on the cross, I'm justified, I am made righteous. He has fulfilled what the command demands. And so even though I am an adulterer, a blasphemer, a thief, a liar, a cheater, and I'm sure I'm not the only one, he has fully satisfied wages and penalty of my sin. And because of that, I am justified, I am made right. And so God the Father no longer sees an idolater, blasphemy, or a cheater, a thief, a liar, but he sees a child who is righteous, who is justified by faith alone in Jesus Christ. What a glorious news. Can we just worship and celebrate this wonderful news that we are made righteous by faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he has done on the cross. 
Westminster Confession defines justification this way. Those whom God effectually called, he also freely justified, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything within them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, nor by imputing faith itself, the act of believing or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ onto them, they receiving and resting on him in his righteousness, righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves. It is a gift of God. What we couldn't do, Christ did on that cross. He lived a perfect, completely obedient life and died upon a cross for us so that we can be justified in him. See, justification removes the guilt of sin and restores a sinner, a sinner to the, be a child of God. Justification takes place outside the sinner and changes our status before God. And I want to make sure that we hear this. It does not necessarily change the pollution of sin within us, but it does change the status of us being sinners to righteous. Next week, as we look at sanctification, we will look at the sin problem that we still deal with. And it's through sanctification that will help get rid of this pollution of sin within us. But for today, may we know and understand that we stand, if we are in Christ, we stand justified, we are stand righteous before our holy God. And with this, because we are justified, we can delight in him forever. Justification is not a process, but it's something that happens when we put our faith in Christ. And our justification covers our past sins, our present sins, and our future sins. Because while we're still on this earth, on this side of eternity, we still have the flesh that we deal with. We still are sinners. We still will sin. But know that we are justified sinners. What glorious news this is. While we do sin, I do pray and I hope that we feel the conviction of sin, that we may feel the guilt of sin, that we may feel the separation between us and God, that we feel the need to repent of our sin, because that is the grace of God through his spirit that he's revealing our sin to us and our need for him. So when you feel the weight of sin, may we not run from God, but may we come to God knowing that we are justified by faith alone. It's by faith alone that we are justified, not by our works. The only thing that we contribute to our justification, our salvation, is our sin. Everything else is taken care of by Jesus Christ himself. So then how are we justified? I hope that you've been paying attention. We are justified by faith. What is faith then? Spurgeon uses this illustration. Let me read this to you. 
Your condition is that of a child in a burning house who, having escaped to the edge of a window, hung on by a windowsill. The flames were pouring out of the window underneath, and the poor lad would soon be burned, or falling would be dashed to pieces. He therefore held on with the clutch of death. He did not dare to relax his grip until a strong man stood underneath and said, Boy, drop, I'll catch you. Now it was, not, it was no saving faith for the boy to believe that the man was strong. That was a good help toward faith. But he might have known that and yet have perished. It was faith when the boy let go and dropped down into his big's, big friend's arms. There are you, sinner, clinging to your sins or to your good works. The Savior cries, drop, drop into my arms. It is not doing, it is leaving off doing. It is not working, it is trusting in that work which Jesus has already done. Trust, trust in the word. That word is, this, that is the word, simple, solid, hearty, earnest. Trust, trust, and it will not take an hour to save you. The moment you trust, you are saved. I pray that if there is anyone in this room trying to be justified by their works, you will fail. May we let go of our good works. May we let go of trying to please God. May we hold on by faith, trusting the work of Jesus Christ, that he has died on a cross for our sake, to take away our sins so that we will be righteous and justified before God. Oh, what glorious truth this is. Because you see in verse 20 of our passage in Galatians chapter 2, I'm sorry, verse 21, he says, I do not set aside the grace of God. Make a little note there, please. We will come back to this idea of grace. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. May it not be so. For Christ died so that we can be justified. What glorious truth. Knowing that we are justified in Christ, may we delight in him forever. This doesn't end there, because there's implications then. As we talked about already, our union in Christ is like a diamond. And the more we see and absorb and observe this diamond, the more beautiful it gets. So may we continue to dig in the trenches of our union with Christ, and may we worship God for what he has done. For let's look at the implications of being justified in Christ. If you would, turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We're going to bounce back and forth a little bit now between Romans and Galatians. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are justified, we have peace with God. God created us. He created a garden where he dwelt with man. But man became disobedient and broke relationship with him. There's the Jesus Story Bible that I read to 
my kids. And if you don't have this and you have kids in your life, please go out and buy one and read it with them. I swear every time I read that with my daughter, I walk away more in awe of who God is. And so I want to read this excerpt for you. It's in the first chapters talking about the fall of man. And so Adam and Eve just ate of the fruits. And so we hear, this is an excerpt from this book, God calling, where are you? Hiding, Adam said, we're afraid of you. Did you eat the fruit I told you not to eat, God asked. Adam said, Eve made me do it. What have you done, God asked. Eve said, that serpent made me do it. And terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule, they had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him. And now he knew everything else would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die, even though it was all supposed to last forever. You see, sin had come into God's perfect world, and it would never leave. God's children would be always running away from him and hiding in the dark. Their hearts would break now and never work properly again. God couldn't let his children live forever. Not in such pain, not without him. There is only one way to protect them. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children. His eyes filling with tears. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. See, because of our sin, we have been separated by God. And did you catch this line? God's children would always be running away from him and hiding in dark. But because of Jesus Christ, because of the cross of Christ, because we are in Christ, we are justified, and because we are justified, we no longer have to be running away and hiding in darkness. But we have peace with God. And this isn't a peace where two nations are going to war and sign a peace treaty. We have peace with God. And this peace then, Paul continues in Romans chapter 5, this peace then leads to this. Look with me in verse 2 of Romans chapter 5. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. Because we have peace with God, we have access to his grace. We've talked about how our old self used to dwell and live in this land of sin. But by being crucified with Christ, by dying with Christ, we no longer live in this land, but we live in the land of grace. Oh, may this just let us worship our God, praise and rejoice in him. And so while we sin, while we fell over and over again while we are weak human beings. His grace, we live in his land of grace. His grace is sufficient for all of us. From our past sins, current sins, and future sins. And this is all because we are justified in Jesus Christ. 
what other implications? Oh, there's so much more. We won't get to everything, but let's go to Galatians, back to Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. Starting in verse 4, Paul writes this. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under law, so that we might receive adoptions, adoption as sons. See, by being justified in Christ, we are then his children. We are children, sons and daughters of God. So if being made right, being justified wasn't enough, because of our justification, we have peace with God. If that wasn't enough, we have access to his grace. If that wasn't enough, we have been adopted as sons and daughters of him. And because of sons and daughters of him, we will be heirs with Christ. We will receive an inheritance with Christ. So even if being just adopted as sons and daughters, we look forward to a day where we will receive an inheritance from him. What is this inheritance? If you jump back with Romans chapter 4, 13, Paul writes this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. We, by faith, by being justified in Christ, we will be heirs of this world. But what does that mean? This is what John Piper writes. Since God is the creator and owns all of creation, and us being his heirs, all things will exist to serve our happiness. Through Christ and being justified with Christ, all things are ours, even life and death will serve us with an everlasting joy. Does this make us delight in our Lord of what he has done for us? What incredible truth this is. That all of creation will serve, one day serve us and serve our happiness and our joy. I want to make sure that you don't mistakenly hear me. I'm not saying that we will be little gods. We are still his creation. And I'm not promoting a prosperity gospel because I firmly believe that Scripture does teach that on this side of eternity, we will suffer, but we look with a future hope of what's to come. As we look at inheritance, imagine you're 10 years old. And your parents come to you and say, on your 21st birthday, you're going to get millions of dollars. Millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. So at 10 years old, you're looking forward to this 21st birthday. That's going to change how you live. It's going to determine, change what schools you go to, what things you buy. It's going to change everything about who you are. And so in the same way, may, as we understand that we are justified in Christ and being justified, we are sons and daughters of God. And being sons and daughters of God, we will receive this inheritance. May we live with anticipation that we will one day receive his inheritance. Oh, 
May this bring us joy. No matter what life brings us, no matter what suffering comes our way, no matter how much we fail over and over, no matter how weak we are, may we glorify and delight in our God. Oh, what wonderful truth this is. It doesn't end there, though. Revelation 21, chapter 3. says, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. See, one day we will dwell in the presence of our God forever and ever. Because we have been justified in Christ by faith. This is wonderful news. Oh, I look forward to that day. where we'll see our Savior face to face, that we'll be in the company of saints worshiping and delighting in our Lord forever and ever. Oh, what a glorious day. While there's so much more, let's just look at one more aspect. Romans chapter 8. Verse 30. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. We won't talk about a whole lot of glorification in this series, but being in Christ, we are glorified. We look forward to the day that we will be in glory with God forever and ever. You see the implications of us being justified in Christ. And the wonderful news of being justified in Christ, it's more than just being made right. It means that we have peace with God. It means we, have, we dwell and live in this land of grace and we have access to his grace. It means we are adopted as sons and daughters, that we will reign with Christ, that we will dwell with him forever, that we will be glorified. May we leave this place rejoicing, knowing what God has done in us through the work of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, it's by faith, faith alone, we are justified. May we not try to add to our justification through our works. May we let go. May we trust and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he has, that we are justified in Christ. Brothers and sisters, may we go forth from this place rejoicing, knowing that we have been justified in Christ and because we've been justified in Christ, we can delight in him forever. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, oh, may we just rejoice, continue revealing your mercy and grace upon us. While we were running and hiding in darkness, you call us and you justify us. May we bask in what this means for us 
And we, as we continue to understand the implications of being justified in Christ, may we just give you all glory and honor and praise, and may we delight in you forever, our God. May we go from this place rejoicing in you. This in the name of Jesus. Amen.